Welcome to Hashtag No Filter Healthcare Podcast. This is where reality meets medicine, raw, unscripted, and uncensored. Co-hosted by healthcare aficionados, Taylor Dunn and Tamara Donda. Ready to deep dive into the heart of healthcare? No filter, just facts. Let's get started. Welcome to Hashtag No Filter Healthcare. I'm your co-host, Taylor Dunn. And I'm your other co-host, Tamara Donda. And today we're joined by John Walborn and Jeff Poe, co-managing partners at Sanitas Advisors. We are thrilled to have you guys. Thank you. We're pleased to be here. Thanks for having us. So, um, <laughs> so we are we're doing a shift here. I mean, we have a lot of guests that come on from the dental industry, which we you know love and um, hold dear to our hearts. But you guys are from optometry. You're from healthcare in general, and so we're excited about this one. Um, so I'd love to learn more about your backgrounds. You know, personally, I know all about you guys selfishly i made you come on this podcast because i knew the rest of the world had to hear about you but um i'd love for you to tell us about your backgrounds where you got to the role you're at today and um, also about sinus advisors so jeff poe and i've got about a 30-year career on the provider side of healthcare so working for large hospital systems hca specifically in denver colorado and then after about five years of that, dove right into the physician side and spent 30 years working with doctors and large physician practice management and worked in a lot of really fun specialties from radiology to cardiology, oncology, um, some uh, PED subspecialty services. And I've had the opportunity to spend time with publicly traded companies, private equity-backed companies, and then also privately held where doctors and or the management company owned the practice and ran the business. Um, about 10 years ago, was asked to join a, a large eye care practice in Denver and took over a CEO and one of the owners of that group. And we uh, grew the business and had a huge time just having fun in the marketplace and, and really doing some dynamic things. As you're seeing in the dental arts, we're certainly seeing it in optometry. Um, private equity is looking at how do you consolidate and what do you do and where do you go next? And so being one of the largest practices in Denver and integrated uh, ophthalmology and optometry, we were uh, picked up by a private equity um, in Cinderella timing. And by that, I mean, we closed at the very end of 2019. We all know what happened in 2020. So after taking a little bit of time off, um, I joined John and the founder of Sanitas Advisors, which is a boutique strategic consultancy. And you brought up dental arts. It's one of the areas where we spend some time. But the bulk of our time is in the eye care practices, optometry and ophthalmology. Again, some dental arts, uh, auditory and actually veterinary. Um, so a lot of commonalities in those specialties. And as a, a consultancy, certainly you think about doing strategy and that level of work. And, and that is definitely an area that we excel in. I'd say the other area that we spend a lot of time in is execution, innovation, and revenue acceleration. So those are areas that are very important to helping practices succeed, organizations grow. And I would call out execution and innovation as being just two areas that are relatively unique to what we do. Um, there are a lot of great strategy consulting firms out there, but taking a strategy and actually being able to execute it is a unique skill set. And John and I both spent about 30 years running, growing practices, et cetera, and businesses. So we know an awful lot about execution and we can step in and really help from that perspective. 
a natural passion for both of us is innovation. We spend about a half of our time working with innovators and helping them, not with their innovations per se, they're experts in that area, but transitioning that entrepreneurial um, innovation and skill set into actually operating the business and being able to run it from there. So that's a little bit about me, a little bit about our company. I'll transition to my partner, John, and uh, then look forward to some questions. Thanks, Jeff. And, uh, you know, quite often people refer to us as I'm Jeff's yin to his yang or vice versa. I spent 30 years in the business side of it, uh, really in the manufacturing piece of it. My career started, I worked for General Electric and uh, I worked for their plastics division. So spent a lot of time working with many, many companies on how do they develop their products. I had moved up to running the electronics division. So that was at the time, cell phones were emerging, uh, laptop computers, uh, you name it, everything from refrigerators to uh, military equipment. And um, one of our biggest customers was Sony and their compact discs. So they had optical quality polycarbonate. And the second biggest customer was glasses. So the most of them here in the US are made of polycarbonate. And um, had one of them say, you know, hey, whenever you're ready, come join us. We'd love to have you. I didn't think I was ever going to leave GE, but lo and behold, they sold the company. And when they sold that and I was no longer with GE, it was a great opportunity to uh, jump on what's next. And that got me started 15 years ago plus in the optical industry. And I ran um, innovation and strategy for them, then ran their North American marketing, and then was their president of ophthalmic lenses. And if there's ever a theme in my career, when they sell the business, which happened with Essilor Luxottica, it was a good time to transition again. And as Jeff said, uh, made the move into working with our uh, uh, founder at Sanitas Advisors, uh, really to start seeing if we could give back to this great industry that's given us so much. And uh, so we started really building this practice and working with all the different groups Jeff described. Thank you guys for sharing your background. It's extensive to say the least. <laughs> uh, so John, with your vast experience in strategy and marketing within the optical industry, how do you see the intersection between technology and eye care evolving? Yeah, that's a great question, Taylor. You know, and um, interestingly enough, as you guys have participated, we do an innovation summit every year. And this was our fifth uh, year to host it. And one of the key themes of this was this very topic, the intersection of technology and eye care. And where it seems to be moving is into, everyone's talking about it, the AI space, artificial intelligence. Um, and we know artificial intelligence is kind of like Kleenex these days. It's everything from a simple logarithm to all the way to autonomous machine learning. Um, but where that's happening is a lot of momentum in diagnostic, diagnostics and, and diagnosing uh, conditions in the whole body through the eye. And what we mean by that is... Uh, the eye is kind of a mini human system itself with blood vessels and veins and everything else that's there. And the miniaturization of it allows for some of these um, diagnoses to be manifest earlier uh, than they can be seen physically or symptoms have begun to materialize. 
And so what these companies are doing are finding ways to identify biomarkers and other uh, types of uh, signatures within the uh, uh, eye that identify everything from Alzheimer's, 20 years ahead of clinical diagnosis, uh, to heart conditions, kidney conditions, all the way through to traditional eye diseases. And why this is the intersection, Taylor, to just succinctly answer your question is because ophthalmology optometry already has the equipment to be able to execute this. It's adding that software and then being able to take advantage of the patients that are coming into them, their knowledge of the eye and other things to then help being able to refer that out to uh, the other medical networks that can benefit these people at a much earlier stage in identification. And this is really where I think innovation is going to take uh, making leaps forward in healthcare through uh, optical and optometry. Is this technology being publicized right now in a in a large way? Because I feel like, you know, I mean, maybe there's just too much news going yeah. on or something, but this is just so, I mean, it's so amazing what they're being, what they're able to do. And I just feel like I am not hearing about it. You know, I feel like this is something that should be front news. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's a great question. And um, I'll just answer it quickly this way. It's just starting. And the reason okay. being is a lot of these companies and a lot of them are global have been doing this for a long time. And as they make their way into the American regulatory market and try to understand where this fits, uh, that's where we're helping them to guide them on this path. Uh, there's a bit of an, a, uh, uh, a situation where they're kind of looking at the uh, opportunity and saying, hey, does this go through your primary care physician or does this go through optical? And okay. what they do know is they know primary medicine very well. Um, because that's what's normally practiced outside of the U.S. Optometry is one of those things that's not in every country in the world. But what they also know now is, is that when they can learn the optical industry, that these individuals already have equipment, patient base, a frequency of seeing patient. So all these things are coming together. Uh, so you will begin to hear a lot more about it. There's recent articles in the Wall Street Journal about uh, a few companies and a few uh, findings and a lot of their clinical studies. Uh, they're trying to advance those as we speak. As they should. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. That's really, that's really exciting. Um, yeah. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so Jeff, I'm going to jump to you now. So, you know, you have a different background. You transitioned through various healthcare sectors. So from your perspective, what are some of the unique challenges that optometry faces mm -hmm. um, that are compared to other industries such or other sectors of healthcare, such as oncology or hospital management? You know, all of us, right, in any business face uh, a number of challenges. And, um, you know, right off the top, I can think of three challenges that come into play for optometry. And then one that is probably facing all of us. And, you know, so if we start thinking about optometry specifically, what's really unique about that one is there's no single national standard for what happens in every state as it relates to optometry. So if you're practicing in California or in the middle of the country in Oklahoma or off on the East Coast in Massachusetts, the level of care that you can provide as an optometrist is different in each one of those three states that I just described. That's not true for almost every other medical specialty out there. 
So it's really unique and they, they face a challenge because of that, that, that you're doing 50 different things in each one of the different states and how they come together and embrace that single united front of what we optometry can do is going to be a challenge for them to work through uh, as they elevate their profession. I think the second thing that is out there is that a lot of us, when we think about optometrists and don't recognize from a patient perspective, as well as from another medical doctor perspective, how good of a diagnostician the optometrist actually is. And John touched a little bit on this one. Yeah, every day you go into an optometrist, you're thinking about a new refraction and a new pair of glasses or contacts or something like that. But they are diagnosing diseases every single day from glaucoma to macular degeneration, which are two of the leading causes of blindness. And that is a part of what they identify, like I said, every day. On top of that, even without the AI that we're starting to see, they're identifying cardiovascular disease, multiple sclerosis, and a number of other disease patterns. And they're the first uh, place of identification inside the healthcare system. So you just brought up the question, well, why isn't this being publicized? Um, there's a lot of this of we don't take the white coat and put it out there on the PR trail. So they're going to need to think through, we as optometrists do a huge amount of work in diagnosing and, and really helping the healthcare system move forward. How do we put ourselves on the mantle of really being good diagnosticians and letting everybody know about that one? And then third, I think there's a, this, this natural challenge that happens inside an optometric practice, which is you're providing high quality medical care at one end of the building. At the other end of the building, you're offering a retail service. Somebody is buying a pair of glasses and going through that consumer service. Yes, you're still a patient, but you're writing a check for something that you're going to put on your face. It's a fashion device as, as well as a medical device. And those dynamic constraints of fashion and consumerism and medicine and being a patient coming together under one roof just make it really complex. There aren't that many specialties where you're worried about cost of goods on your P&L and some of those other pieces. So it makes it dynamic. John was talking about this when I had mentioned that I think healthcare is going through a pretty big evolution right now. And that really is bringing in technology and then bringing in the AI component of that. And there's just a whole bunch that's going on. If we think about generative AI, we could start thinking about how we could make the patient experience a little bit easier, um, less expensive as we start thinking about that one. And I think actually improve the quality of care. So that becomes a really important component. And then very specifically to what John was talking about, if if the AI can really bear out what it says it can do and identify disease states earlier and more effectively, there's a huge opportunity. So if we can take macular degeneration and identify it five years early and maybe prevent somebody from having the issues of their vision uh, deteriorating further and actually leading into blindness and, and eliminating that, that could be huge for quality of life and you know just what we're doing. So lots of opportunity, but without a doubt, some challenges as we think about the future. Is this technology that you guys are talking about going to be available only to the optical field or is it, uh, it could be, you know, primary care physicians can also use this technology? I, I think that's a great question. And that's the one of the big unknowns that we're looking at right now. And, and John described this um, today, what's happening is 
Uh, inside optometry and ophthalmology, they use retinal cameras every day. And so they've got the technology to be able to look at the back of the eye. Well, that camera could be placed in an urgent care setting or an emergency room, or it could be placed in a primary care office or even a cardiologist office. And with the embedded software and then the AI algorithms and the rest of the work that goes on behind the scenes, it could literally be done anywhere. And conceivably, this is just, you know, thinking about where the future is. We've all gone into a, a pharmacy and had our blood pressure checked while we're waiting for a prescription or our whatever. So could that happen where you're just leaning into a machine, giving a picture of the back of your retina, the AI starts to recognize what's going on and you get this early information about, hey, let's get you referred to a primary care physician. So the technology is available. Executing that pathway is where we're going to start to see who's going to lean into wanting to take this technology forward. And that's where, just to add real quick, where, you know, Sinitas comes into the equation because what these companies are really looking for is trying to identify how the patient journey looks, how the clinical journey looks, and then how the different business models are uh, developed from that. So how the doctors get paid, how the patients can pay, how the regulatory components come into place and how uh, those channels are able to execute this. So that's a lot of what's being figured out right now, um, along with, you know, in a parallel path, uh, proving out these technologies, doing what they say they do. Yeah, the biggest thing is the accessibility component because I, you know, yes, patient care, boom, that's obvious, right? We want better patient care. But the biggest thing for me, I'm a mom, you know, I've got two kids, you know, plan on having more kids, can't even imagine spending, you know, multiple days in a week at different offices, right? To be able to walk up to a Walgreens or CVS and have some sort of understanding of what's going on could be awesome, right? And I think more, more people are going to want that accessibility, that ease of access to. And Tamara, you know, I'll I'll only add uh, to that as well. That's a very important part of it. The other side of it is all of a sudden now, 20 years ahead, you're identified and know you may have Alzheimer's or you have signatures for Alzheimer's. Um, are there treatments to begin taking advantage of that outside of lifestyle changes and other things? Uh, so this opportunity right now is really developing itself. Whereas say identifying cardiac disease, there may be all, already pharmaceuticals or other pathways for treatments that are there. Uh, so a lot of this is being thought through as we go through that. So how that patient journey is, what's the business model, and then ultimately what treatments and uh, better outcomes, which is what everybody's trying to achieve, uh, is better outcomes for the patient. Well, I, I think it also comes down to that, you know, not everybody has a primary care physician, but at, at least once in their life, they go to an urgent care and they kind of, people, you know, treat urgent care as their primary care, which is, you know, in this world, it's acceptable now. This, you know, it's just a reality we live with. Um, but that's where I, you know, that whole question stemmed from, because in my mind, there are people that are never going to go to an optometrist. There are people that are never going to go to a dentist when <laughs> that's a scary thought, but it, there are people that just don't, don't do these things until there's a problem. And so, so to have that access to that type of technology, they, they hopefully are really thinking about that in this convenient way, because that will be really exciting 
to give access to that because the unfortunate truth is they're not going to access them at those, you know, optometry and dental offices and all the new technologies and things like that. Certainly not exclusively and having this be able to get out there for, again, the identification of a potential disease state and then to go through the formal back-end testing and then the management of the disease, whatever it happens that you might have, becomes really important. But if we can literally identify early and talk about preventive measures instead of, oh, right. now you are sick. And now let's talk about how we can manage that illness. Um, it would be a lot better if we could uh, make it easier access points and uh, more ubiquitous for all of us to be able to tap into it. Taylor, I was going to add one other thing. You brought up a really good point, which is, you know, that access to getting to um, a different channel, primary care, urgent care and such. What you're seeing as well, one of the bigger issues is just getting an appointment into a lot of these practitioners. Um, it could be two, three, five weeks, two months, mm -hmm. six months to get in and get an appointment. And you see alternative models beginning to emerge as well um, and where they're doing that type of thing, which is thinking about more of a concierge healthcare or a, you know, a customer centric healthcare like Amazon One Medical or uh, forward medical out there that are saying, hey, we hear you patients, customers out there, you want to be treated differently, thought differently, you want to be able to make an appointment on 24 hours notice and uh, be able to get the services all in one place. Uh, so there's some other thought processes as well going on in the medical model around that as well. Yeah, no, it's really, I, I love talking about this stuff because if it's not being told, you know, on in the news channels or being headlined as the way I feel like it should, <laughs> but, you know, having access to just, you know, presenting it through even this podcast is just really special to me because I, you know, everything I learn from the people that we talk to, all these experts in these industries, I, I take to my family and I hope that it spreads through you know, the knowledge I provide them. So this is really, really great that you guys are sharing all of this information. All right. So to kind of shift gears a little bit, um, we're going to do my, my favorite part of this, this podcast is the no filter part. Um, so let's ask you guys a question that, you know, I love to take you a little bit out of your comfort zone. Um, but just, you know, tell us in your experience in I care, what's the hard truth about the industry that isn't often talked about? I'm excited to hear this. <laughs> I'll take yeah. one first, Jeff. You know, uh, I think, you know, since we've been on that theme of innovation, one of the biggest issues we see is adoption of new technology and innovation. Uh, this profession for a long time on the optometry side has really had to, as Jeff articulated, uh, in each state, establish what is their role of being able to practice in each of those areas. In one state, they can do LASIK procedures. In another, they can only prescribe glasses and contacts and do prescriptions. So um, there's a vast difference in there. But for all of them, because of that, they're very skeptical of innovation. I think a lot of times the profession feels that um, they're going to be replaced or supplanted by technology. And I think it's quite the opposite, which is technology and innovation is only going to enhance what they do. And hopefully, very similarly, this story's told a lot. Uh, just like the auto refractor that came in in the late 70s, 
they were very skeptical of it. But what they learned was that technology afforded them more time in the chair to have face one-on-one -on -one conversation time with the patient because they had a starting point for the prescription to then do their subjective piece of that. And it allowed them to have more dialogue about how they're using their eyes, how they're using their vision, uh, what kind of conditions they may have and so on and so forth. So it took them some time. And I think that to me has always been one of those things that uh, uh, they need to learn to be able to be more proactive about innovation uh, to advance the profession and the healthcare that they give. I think that's going to be a consistent theme for our existence. I don't. I don't think we're ever going to get away from the fear of technology. Right. It's been. It's been a fear of ours since the light bulb was invented. <laughs> you know, like it's. It's just you know you're in, you're evolving and that's always scary and for some people it's a lot and and there's always the fear of what it's going to do to you and your business and so I mean I'm not surprised to hear that. Yeah. There's an eighty twenty rule. There are lots of groups that are extremely innovative out there and adopt it and lead it, uh, but the majority of the practices are very hesitant and uh, late to jump on the train. All right, Jeff, what's your what's your thought on this question? <laughs> you know, one of the big dynamics out there right now in optometry, so going to be very, very narrow about it, is where does the managed care company fit in? Um, it's not formal insurance the way that we think about our health insurance. And so they are directing patients and they're offering discounts, but are they really adding value and benefits to you, the end consumer, and then also to the practice and the doctor that you're going to see. And you can go to uh, a vision works or a private practice or you know any number of, of locations. And I think that that uh, managed vision benefit is really something that the industry, um, it, it's a, I don't, I don't want to call it a dirty little secret, but it's what's the, what's the value that's really out there? And are we talking about it and where will we see that go in the future? Tagging on to that one, I think one of the things that is just beginning to be scratched um, and will become a bigger and bigger topic is with these diagnostic tools, will, will somebody be able to get a quote a subjective refraction, which is what you need in order to write a new prescription for your glasses or for your contacts and do that remotely. Uh, so Tamara, you've got kids and at some point they're, you're running from school to kids to soccer to this to that, where do you fit in the eye doctor? And so if you could do it remotely and get a good refraction, well then do you need to go into an optometric practice or an eyeglass store and buy your glasses or your contacts there or can everything be done online? It's a question, not a statement, but I think that's something that we're gonna to need to start addressing think about um, their pros and cons to doing, you know, an Amazon-esque type of uh, adventure in eye care. Um, and so that's an area that a lot of us are probably keeping our head in the sand on because we don't want to address it because it's a big, scary topic. But it is something that technology is going to lead us down that path and we could have that opportunity of, of ending up really dynamically changing how care is delivered. I think it's it's definitely scary because they you know people don't want to lose the brick and mortar like they want to they want that experience and so it's I don't think it's ever going to go away but it also provides access to care as we've you know if you talk about any kind of telehealth 
what it's doing is it's providing access to care for people in rural areas or where they just, you know, maybe they can't leave their home. Maybe they're, you know, they've got some sort of condition that doesn't allow them to be able to step out and see the doctor the way that they would like to. So it addresses things that a lot of people that aren't in that predicament don't think about. <laughs> so I don't think that there should be fear aligned with it. It's just expanding the, the reach. So, Absolutely. So. Uh, and for any one of us, um, you know, buying certain things online that it, it might be an easy experience to buy a book, that's fine. You need to try something on. It's a little bit more difficult. And so how do you get the fit of your glasses or so there's there there there's a lot going on that we need to really consider in those areas. Um, but I think it also opens us up for being better connected with our patient consumer. How do we do that and build that level of trust? And part of that is, as John was describing, bringing technology forward. And if we're not doing that, um, I think there's a disservice, one, to the patient, and two, also to your staff. They're there to support the, what needs to go on inside the practice. And if we're using them at the highest levels of their capability, and we bring those technologies and tools forward, well, then the bricks and the mortar and that personal experience can really accelerate towards a win, again, for the patient, but also for the team that you've got around you as the doctor, meaning your staff, your employees, and then your, if you will, your corporate entity and, and how we go forward as uh, organizations. So, Jeff, I'm going to grill you. <laughs> John, TPD, it's coming for you. <laughs> so... I noticed that you're extremely well-versed and in just your industry and just various under other industries. I mean, both of you have immense backgrounds, um, but I really want to know about your specific experience um, within optometry as a whole. I know we talked about the innovation piece, but have you put forth any of your current, you know, values or any experiences towards the field that you can share with us today? Um, anything that, you know, can make the whole word innovation actually make more um, of an understanding to people? <laughs> yeah, that's a, uh, it's a great question. It's very much loaded. Um, yep, sorry. <laughs> I, I warned you. The, uh, exactly. <laughs> I think any personal so, experience is so great for people to listen and to understand, you know, something yep. as big as innovation, people talk about it left and right, but sharing Absolutely. your personal insight would be helpful. I think that um, talking about innovation and value and commitment in some of these areas, integrity, um, it, it, it's easy to throw some words out there, right? And to even stand in front of your staff or whatever it happens to be but you have to follow through with your actions. And I think that takes a lot more guts um, and it also takes some time and energy. So knowing that you're going to look at innovation technology and bring something new to the patients um, because it's the right thing to do. Like I said, that alone is an, a relatively easy statement, actually bringing it into the practice and taking the time to educate your staff and your fellow doctors and be able to work through that one and get the commitment from everybody that's there that we're doing this not because there is a quote revenue opportunity a lot of people translate hey here's new technology that means more money for the practice 
it needs to be done for the right reason. And if you're doing it for money alone, my personal value system would say that's not the right pathway. But if we're able to do it for the right reason, then I think we can move forward. A personal example on this one was a decade ago, we were using our retinal cameras only limited. So the wide angle, 200 degree angle cameras that are out there that can take a look at the retina. We're using it on about 20% of patients. And um, by the time we sold our practice in 2019, we were at about 80% of all patients were using the retinal camera. And part of the importance of that was what we were finding and being able to do early diagnostics. And again, it wasn't just in an eye disease. We were finding cardiovascular disease and some of these other disease states that we can see with these cameras. And by being able to put somebody, meaning a patient, in an environment where they can now go out and seek the medical care that they need for their health is huge. We did have a patient come back um, and literally said to the chairman of the board and said, had you not sent me to um, the emergency room that day, I don't know that I would still be here. So he was that ill. He had that much cardiovascular issue going on that it was one of those things where we had to call the ambulance to take him to the emergency room. I imagine he's still alive and thriving and doing quite well, but knowing that and, and being able to look across the aisle to your, like I said, to the doctors and to the staff in your organization and say, that's why we do this. That's important. And, and so that's where I think the, uh, the, the, your own personal integrity needs to step forward. It may not be easy, but if it's the right thing, um, you can go from a good practice to a great practice. I 100% agree. I think that's awesome. And what a great experience that you shared with us. Um, it's, yeah, that's unbelievable. I can't imagine being able to detect things that early and to be able to make that jump, you know, to the right decision. Wow. Amazing. Uh, John, your turn. <laughs> yes. So you've seen the optical, optical industry move from B2B and then B2C, right? We talked a little yep. bit about B2B, B2C and how when it's overlapped in medical, it's difficult to understand. What's a challenge outside of the difficulty <laughs> of it overall uh, that you face during that change that people don't generally talk about? Yeah, you know, there's a couple things I'll go to, Tamara, here. You know, first and foremost, an example. During that transition, we found a ton of things out about the system itself. Um, we talked a little bit about innovation and willingness to adapt and such. But for example, when you move to B2C, for example, they started selling contact lenses online and then there were glasses online. We found out that, you know, being in person wasn't always the best experience. And for example, um, when you go into an optometry office and then into the retail side of it, um, most of the people sitting with you are opticians and in many states they don't have to be licensed and unfortunately for that standardization of training and care isn't always the same where i'm going with that is is when people are buying glasses online they're always asked do you want anti-reflective with that and interestingly enough online when the consumer has the choice and is presented with the opportunity they'll take it 70 80% of the time. In optical offices throughout this country, that number is only about 40%. And most of it's because they're not even ever mentioned that 
AR is an option. And a lot of that happens to do with the, Taylor, going back to your no filter side of it, a little known situation we call kind of, uh, you know, investment planner syndrome, where they're making a decision whether or not that person really can afford that or was willing to pay for it without offering it to them. So one of the things in going with your question on B2B and B2C transfer is how can we get better standardization of practices for consumers that are more consumer centric? And you'll see by nature, many of the offices are independent. So you're going to get a very different experience. And there's positives to that and there's negatives to that. But the second part, Tamara, I was going to go with is just the systems. Uh, there's 40 EHRs and multiple, multiple versions of them. So thousands of combinations. And unfortunately, that allows for slow to adopt practices in these uh, practices, whereas we're doing a uh, interactive conversation here today. Uh, many practices can't do that with their patients on a regular basis. Taylor talked about it a little earlier, you know, whether they can't make it to it or their schedule doesn't uh, uh, allow for it. Um, they need an emergency consultation. Many of them don't have those capabilities because of the interoperability between gathering information into their EHR, having patient information at the ready, or being able to take that down. Uh, so there's a lot of reasons that uh, the industry has been slow to adopt. And, you know, I think that's what they're going to have to accelerate. One, understanding that patients are also consumers and they have choice and they are going to want to do things differently. And so when we're talking about an asynchronous or synchronous activity like we're doing, uh, that's going to be one of the things that I think really this industry is behind and needs to accelerate. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of noise, too, when it comes to technology. I know Taylor mentioned that earlier, even with artificial intelligence. I mean, there is a lot of noise. So, you know, knowing that we have you two on this podcast to hopefully provide insight and into a, a personalized version of this, uh, they can make better decisions moving forward. Yeah, thank you guys so much for being here today. And I have a pun for you because this is who I am as a person. <laughs> well, so far it's been so, our pleasure. So let's see. Thank you guys so much for opening our eyes to the business and innovation side of optometry. Boom, well said. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Yeah, I am hilarious. Um, to learn more about Sanitas Advisors and their work, be sure to visit them at sanitasadvisors.com. And remember to subscribe to our podcast, hashtag NoFilterHealthcare for all of these engaging conversations and really fun puns. So thank you for tuning in. <laughs> Taylor Tamara, it was great being here. Thank you. <laughs>